Welcome to Bussin, the Greenville Transit Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Predmore, and I'm also the Executive Director of Greenville Connects, an advocacy coalition working to expand resources for public transit in Greenville. This episode, we're connecting the whole season together. We started the season hearing from riders, and then the last few episodes, we learned about how Greenlink plans to improve and what their vision is for the future. Now, we're going to talk about the big picture of why transit matters and how you can get involved. Funny thing, I'm the person who knows the answer to those questions, but I can't interview myself. So I've asked Nathaniel DeSantis, our podcast producer, and he's going to interview me about why transit matters for Greenville County. I figured it might help if we had more than one voice on the podcast this week. So Nathaniel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on. So let's first start by doing a bird's eye view of Greenville County. It's constantly in the national news for its various accolades as one of the best places to live, retire, raise a family, visit, you name it, Greenville's want it. So what does that mean for Greenville and how does that affect our growth? I would start off by saying that all those awards are right. Greenville is an amazing place to be. What the actual day-to-day impact is, though, with all of those visitors and people choosing Greenville as a place to settle is that we're anticipated to have an additional almost a quarter of a million people living here by 2040. What's crazy is I was just talking to someone who knows things a couple of days ago, and he told me that there's actually been an uptick in that, that the rate has been a little bit higher than anticipated, which means we may hit that milestone of an additional, what they say, 220,000 people here by 2040. It may actually happen in 2035 or 2033. Just with a little bit of an increase, we end up reaching that goal much, much sooner. What that means is, again, we have an amazing place to live, but we have a unique opportunity in Greenville to support that population growth and plan for it in ways that other cities haven't been able to do. Because we know that that many people are expected to come here, we can prepare for that huge population growth. We've already grown 60% in population size compared to where we were in the 90s. And like I said, in less than what they think 17 years, we're going to grow so much more. Our timelines for getting things done has moved up and the urgency, I guess, becomes even more urgent. And how will that affect commute times? Well, everybody's going to bring a car with them. Not everybody, but a lot of those new people will be here with a car. And so each household having an additional car will have more cars on the road. Our current average commute time is around 22 minutes in a day. And so we have about the same number of people who live in Greenville and leave the county to work somewhere else as live somewhere else and come into Greenville County every day. So it's almost we gain a little bit each day, but it's pretty equal, pretty equal. Downtown population of Greenville does almost double during the day due to those number of commuters. So we do have a concentrated number that are coming downtown. So with that increase of around a quarter of a million more people living here, we anticipate commute times will go up additionally as well. And the average car trip's only taken by one person, unfortunately. So we are usually typically driving in the car by ourselves. So we're going to have around a million or so cars that could be on the road at any given time. So if you think about your commute now, already at certain times a day, we've got bumper to bumper. Then we amplify it by that many more. Our roads just, we don't anticipate that they'll be able to handle that. So I think a solution most people would say is, well, let's just build more lanes. But why would that maybe not be the answer to this problem? Well, it's interesting because that does make a lot of sense. You know, as a kid grows, you just get them bigger clothes, right? And then the clothes fit and they're good to go. And then you just keep buying more clothes for your kid. What happens if you buy a bigger road for a community? Everything's widened. And it's right. Travel times do go down for a little while. 
But then people change their behaviors. After hearing, you know, like there's a highway that's less busy over here, you'll see that those commuters switch where they drive or their pattern into the city or into the space. And then all of a sudden that road that was less busy becomes more busy. They may also, because of a better road, choose to live out further because they go, oh, great, I can live further because that is such a quick and easy way into the city or into work or something like that. So research has actually found that the number of cars on a highway grows pretty equally with each expansion, which means more cars and more traffic, even with a bigger road. We just fill it up. Instead, we've got some ways to reduce traffic is one of the ways that researchers show is that if we offer multiple modes of transportation and we increase housing density in desired areas, those two things together can actually reduce traffic and congestion overall and be able to help our roads manage what's on them every day. Increasing housing density means building infrastructure so that people want to walk because it's shaded, it's safe. It means building protected shaded bike lanes so people want to bike. And it also means funding transit <laughs> so that it becomes an actual option. We would be able to say we were successful when people are reaching for their bike, their bus ticket, their walking shoes instead of their car keys to get around town because they can depend on those modes of transit to get them where they need to go. And so it's still consistent. It's still efficient. It's still easily accessible, just like your car in your driveway, but it's just another option. So like we said, we can put people in lots of different places, moving all over the place and still being connected to where they need to go. Another useful way to impact traffic is going to be denser mixed-use housing. When we allow for that, our neighborhoods become a walkable. And, you know, you don't have to have a big weekly grocery ship to the store necessarily because maybe it's just a few minutes away, right? Or a few steps away. You just can walk down the street to go to the corner store. It then becomes a place you can do short trips. It's less of a task. And the same's true then for bakeries, coffee shops, pharmacies, schools, and parks. If we build these mixed-use, dense housing, then all of it becomes a quick walk from our house. Everything does. And many of these are car trips right now that we're in our car in and out all the time. But those car trips may no longer be needed. Yeah, I mean, imagine the last time you were able to walk somewhere like a grocery store or the pharmacy. I can't, I don't think I've ever been able to in Greenville. I've lived here 18 years. So can you tell us more about how our cities got to be this way? From my understanding, we weren't always so car dependent in America or even in Greenville. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. So actually, we've got some really cool pictures that we found that show the Main Street in the late 1800s. And we actually had a trolley that was built, like the trolley tracks were actually built into the infrastructure, the very base of who Greenville is. And so people would take public transit early on to get around town or to go to just wherever it is that they needed to go in our community. After we, like I said, we had the bus system, we had the trolley system, it shifted to a bus system once it needed to expand beyond those trolley tracks. And we still saw increase every year in ridership. What ended up happening though is as people began to get personal cars, we saw that suddenly they were advocating for better roads for cars because they wanted to have that independence and the ability to drive themselves where they wanted to go. When that happened, when we saw that flip to the focus more on personal cars and roads, then we ended up expanding our road system. And that was where personal cars and public transit started kind of going more neck and neck. We saw a shift. More people were in cars and brought it closer to even. So we have the, once we had more personal cars, we invested more in the road system. And then we also then built out more. And so we had suburbs, we had highways, we had things like that. So we had the highway bill, we had the GI bill. We had lots of reasons why we started building out in less dense areas away from the core of our cities. 
And all of that impacts the lack of efficiency that we see in Greenville Transit's system, but also in other communities, right? Like there are communities all over the country that has had to struggle in the same ways that we're struggling right now. So this is something we've had in the past and we were able to rely on, which to me means that it's something looking forward that we can rely on again. I mean, it's proven a system that's worked. So looking forward though, why does Greenville need to start building denser and funding transit more heavily? Well, what we've ended up doing is interesting because we have had this great system in the past. In fact, if you talk to older people here in Greenville County, they'll remember that bus system and the way that they, as kids, they used to ride, especially I've heard this from some people, they used to ride with their grandparents all the time. They had a big circular route that they would go around and go around and then it would come into downtown and then they'd go back home. It's been their Saturdays on it. That's what they'd come downtown and walk down Main Street and do window shopping. So we had this great thing. And like I said, we started to build out. And so that density, for example, back in 1990, we were more dense than we are now. And what we ended up doing is as we grew, we sort of spread out and took up more of the county. What that means is if you're spread out, then the transit system becomes less efficient because there are less people per square mile. According to transit researchers, they say that around 5,000 people per square mile is the kind of baseline of efficiency for a transit system where you really have enough people living in a space where there can be very frequent buses coming through, more routes, that sort of stuff. And people can really get everywhere they need to go within that time period very quickly. We have very few places in the county with that high of a density. We do have some places that are close to 3,000 per square mile. And then that's another example of opportunities to build on those nodes of density and start to connect them with our planning documents and things like that, both in the city and the county, so that we can really double down on those areas that are naturally growing more densely and then start to connect those through our transit routes. And if we build for people, meaning we build for walkable density and use transit as a tool on top of that, we're actually saving more green space. When people hear the word density, they think that means less trees, less green space, less nature, less green in Greenville overall. But that actually describes the reality we're living in right now. It's what the suburbs are actually doing with unwalkable strip malls and winding single-family home neighborhoods where all the trees were cut down to put homes in, whereas density is actually preserving green space, parks, trees, and our money. So what would 2040 look like if we build with walkable density in mind, if we build with people not cars in mind. Well, if we're very intentional about building, and I do want to make sure our listeners understand too, we're not advocating that those single family home neighborhoods go away or that you're not suddenly able to go to the strip mall that you want to go to or any of those things. So it's that the system we already have in place exists and that as we plug things in around it, we're really smart about where to put those other things. So a multifamily housing closer to a large road makes sense because there are more people there that need access to that road and maybe that bus route that goes right by on that larger road. So just recognizing that we need to look at our map, look at where we are, look at the, say, 270 square miles that we're taking up right now in the county, that we start plugging into those places that make a lot of sense and have it be, they use that term smart growth, which some people, it's kind of that thing that goes around like silos, like um, it's just the thing people are saying right now. Like it's a trendy word. So smart growth, definitely a trendy word right now people are using. And so because it's trendy, some people don't like it. But the way I think about smart growth is that 
It really is about looking at what your community needs, what's about to happen, right? So we've got these people that we know are coming. And then look at our values and say, gosh, Greenville is beautiful. How do we make sure those beautiful places are still there? And how do we make sure people can have access to a high quality life through using transit as a tool to get people to where they need to go? Having that be a choice for them so that people really can go to work, go to school, go to the pharmacy, go to the doctor's appointments, do all of those things they need to do without necessarily having to also build space for that person's car within the infrastructure that we have. If we didn't require a car to get around, then I suspect, like we see in cities that have done that, maybe having a car wouldn't be a requirement. You would just be able to get where you need to go in other ways. You actually kind of end up saving money by not having a car, even though you might have to pay more in taxes or the budget might have to reallocate. But imagine what you're spending on gas, on car loans, whatever else it might be. So it sounds nice to kind of implement that into Greenville. And going off that, is our current transit budget that county council approved enough to turn that vision into a reality? No, unfortunately not. The county council just approved the 2024 budget and the 2025 budget. Both they do it in a two-year cycle. And there was an increase in funding for GreenLink from the county, which on its surface is terrific. And it it is terrific. It meant that we could maintain service. Some people were using that and saying, oh, well, that means we have more money now. We can do more things with that money. Actually, what happened was because of inflation and increase in operations costs and things like that, the money that the county and the city of Greenville both increased their funding this year for GreenLink, although those numbers went up, it was just to maintain service. So it's not enough to see the TDP fully implemented at all. We're going to need a significant, secure funding that's going to be steady so that GreenLink operations could count on that money every year so that we can actually grow into a larger system and better serve the community. So the question I want to know is how does Greenville compare budget-wise for a city or county our size? So how do we compare to, say, Nashville, Tennessee, or Winston-Salem, or to bring it closer to where we are, something like Charleston? Yeah, so Nashville's much bigger than Greenville, but has grown in a similar kind of speed that we've grown in. So we do compare ourselves to Nashville because they've grown at that rate. And we actually use some of those numbers just to compare our investment rate with other cities. So while Nashville's bigger than us, we do see that their investment is almost 10 times as much as ours is per person within our community. So we can, if we do it per capita, then it's an easier comparison. Winston-Salem, you mentioned that, and that is almost five times as much as what we do here in Greenville. And then Charleston, our peer city here in the state of South Carolina, invests three times as much as we do per person. So when you ask, is our local funding typical for a community like ours? And the answer is no, unfortunately. We have increased in the years where we've doubled our local investment. It was (laughs) close to right under $4 per person. And now it's a little bit over $8 per person. So that's great. That increases allowed GreenLink to expand their hours. So now they're able to go to 1130 at night. And before that increase, services stopped at 730. So that's a huge deal for individuals working second and third shift that they're able to get to work or come back home. So we really love that. That's been a great victory. However, like I said, with that, when we compare ourselves to other cities, we know that, like, for example, when people come to me and they'll say, gosh, the system isn't enough. It doesn't come often enough. It doesn't go enough places. It's really frustrating, all that. I just remind them, we get what we pay for, right? Like we're just not invested in GreenLink in the same rate as other communities. So comparing ourselves to these other cities where their systems work, maybe cover more area or more frequent or both, that part's not quite a fair comparison because again, 
they invest five times as much, eight times as much, that sort of thing. And why can't we just rely on federal or state funding? Why is it that the local funding is so important? Yeah. So I'll split those into two parts of that. So the federal government does provide funding, especially for capital improvements. So they'll help us, say, buy a bus or GreenLink just got this great grant to upgrade a lot of their bus stops. And again, that's from the federal government. So it'll be like a capital investment for the federal government. They do want to see local buy-in, though. So they do most of the time require some local match, which is, again, an investment here locally into what it is that we've identified as a need for the system. So the federal government does that. They also, they call it like a two-year lag. They do have an equation with some funding based on operations. So there is some support for operations that comes from the federal government, and that's based on ridership. So you will see that happening as well. And all of the transit authorities across the country, once they've been formed and are officially kind of part of that system, get to access that money as well. And so it all, again, is based on this equation based on ridership. So that's the federal government. And then state funding, we have something called the State Mass Transit Fund here in South Carolina, which began in the 1990s. Unfortunately, it has not increased in its total allocation for the entire state since that time, since its inception. So 30 years later, it's still the same total. And during that same amount of time, the number of transit authorities within the state has gone through the roof. Most of the counties have something that's a transit authority and is able to access those funds. So instead of getting one-sixth of a pie, we're getting one-fortieth of a pie. And so that state funding has gone down as well. There are some funds that come through the Department of Transportation as well for some mass funding. So there's some different streams. But again, without that steady local match to cover operations and the expansion and that sort of thing, all of the pieces of the puzzle don't fit together without a larger part of it being taken on by the local governments. As we see in Columbia and Charleston, would be a great example of that investment locally really being able to increase both routes and frequency for riders. All right. So let's imagine in a perfect world, we get all the funding that Greenland needs. Okay. Besides transit becoming a more solid option, more buses going more places more often, as we always say on the podcast, let's talk about something tangible that will help people. What's the economic impact of boosting transit funding? What's funny about that is it seems very difficult to think about funding transit at the level that they need, which is around $25 million a year to do the TDP as we need and have dreamed about and understand is needed in the community. So that seems like a huge amount of money. However, we did this economic impact study and what we found, and I should also say I did not personally do the impact study. I'm not an economist, but we did get uh, economists from the Darla Moore School of Business down at USC to study it for us and to help us understand what that impact would be. And what we found was that for every dollar spent investing in GreenLink, $80 would be generated in an economic revenue, like in that return through those jobs and businesses. What we see is the interconnectedness of transit with the entire economy. Essentially, it means that with more routes, maybe going more often, we increase ridership, which means people would be able to access more jobs. They would increase their own take-home pay. They would end up paying more in taxes. The money they would also spend at shops, right? So you pay a little bit of tax on something you may buy. You would have more disposable income. You would increase the amount of taxes that you're paying as well into the government. So all of those things are kind of this circular, as you pay into it, more comes out of it, kind of snowballs on us. And we end up with $2 billion annually would be the return on investment if we did 
the $25 million that would be needed for the transit development plan to be fully implemented. $2 billion, that's a lot of money going into the economy and can help in a lot of ways. But let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about how Greenville Connects is advocating for change beyond the podcast, of course. Yes. So besides this, the podcast is an opportunity for us to get some of the voices of writers and community leaders out in the community so that others can begin to think about transit a little differently. Within that vein of kind of just thinking about transit differently, we have the tiny bus concerts, which somebody might have heard about. And while that is not directly advocating for transit, it is an opportunity for people to see transit in new ways. Because what I always say is, even if you don't ride transit, you benefit from transit. So if you've listened so far this season, you know that you've met people who work at some of our local restaurants or, you know, a pharmacy that may be helping you check out and getting you your prescriptions at doctor's offices. We know people are at the hospitals, at grocery stores, I mean, all over, all over. And so we know that that part really matters. So we really want people to understand that while transit is part of what we're doing, we really want to make sure that everybody appreciates the impact of transit on their lives. What we're doing to advocate specifically, other than just raising the voices of riders, we're really working with local elected officials to help them understand transit and its importance better and to hear from them about some of the pushes and pulls that they're dealing with when they're trying to make decisions about funding and opportunities within our community to increase funding for not just transit, but for other things as well. There are only so many tools that our elected officials have in order to be able to fund transit. And so we're really trying to be helping them to get that information so that they understand what is available and to be an honest broker in that so that they get an opportunity to both ask us questions and and us to understand, again, that there are a lot of pushes and pulls in their decisions. We want them to be able to make the best decisions possible for the community. We work at both the local, the state, and the federal level, depending on what's in front of us when it comes to transit. So there's some work that we do down in Columbia as well to work with our state delegation, and then also working with our congressmen and and their staff to be able to talk with them and and provide support for the efforts Greenlink's making to expand their fleet or to apply for grants for certain things like that. We want to be able to make sure that our community accesses all the funding and resources available to them. GreenLake is really good at that already. And so we're there in some instances just to cheer them on and to provide that kind of support as well. So imagine you're a listener to the podcast who's very enthused about everything they've heard today. Of course. How can they help make that change? Well, I am so glad you asked, Nathaniel. So the first thing that we're asking everybody to do is to sign up for our newsletter. And I know people may not all need another email, but it takes like two seconds. You go to greenvilleconnects.org. And there's going to be a pop-up window that comes up when you get to our website. And you just put in your email address. And that adds you to our list. And that means that about once a month, we're going to send a newsletter to you. It tells you everything you need to know when it comes to transit in Greenville. We're going to tell you ways you can get involved, events that are coming up, including our tiny bus concerts, things like that. If we're getting together at something, if we're attending county council, if we've got new information to share or new ways that you can get involved, all of that's going to come through the newsletter. So it's the way to stay up to date on what's happening with Greenville Connects, making sure that you are ready to go when there's action to be taken. Number two, we do ask that our supporters and people interested in transit begin to come to county council meetings. We will put something in the newsletter when we know that we're going to be going to one and they happen twice a month. We all show up, we come in our Greenville Connects t-shirts and Then afterwards, I encourage people who've been in attendance to go talk to their county council member and let them know that they're there, interested in transit, and are asking them to support transit and what we need in our community. 
if you're interested in coming, we'll give you a shirt and you just got to let us know your size. So again, just pay attention once you sign up for the newsletter for those opportunities. The more people you bring, if you've got friends that want to come with you, or you're nervous about going by yourself, bring a buddy and, and that's fine. But we can all sit together and make it more enjoyable. Number three, we ask people to email your county council representative and email them a few times. Email them every few months. Let them know why transit's important to you, where you'd like transit to go, what you want transit to look like, any of that stuff. By telling your personal stories, then our county council members will begin to really understand the importance of transit. Many of them already do understand the importance of transit. I would caution you, don't assume that your county council representative is not a supporter of transit, but just reach out to them and maybe thank them for a vote that they took or let them know about something that you think is important about your transit story. You'll be giving them information and tools that they can use in other conversations with other people as well. Number four, we ask you to follow us on social media. I know that all sort of nonprofits ask you to do that, but it really, really does help. You can like, share, comment, all that good stuff. And we post content on there regularly so that both as an educational tool and also just as outreach in general. So make sure you help us spread the word on those sort of things. And then finally, number five is just be yourself, an everyday advocate. We want you to be a cheerleader for transit in conversations with your friends, your family, your neighbors, whatever, your boss, your coworkers. Explain the business of what transit is, why it matters. Maybe something you learned on the podcast or a story you heard from a writer or something like that. Bring them into the group. So have them sign up for the newsletter. Have them come to county council with you. Have them start to become advocates themselves. All of that stuff really matters. And it can be important for you to raise your voice with everyone else. Participating in something like the Citizens Transit Academy gives you a ton of information and allows you to become that everyday advocate where you have the data and information to share with others around you. Makes a really big impact and is really interesting. Is a lot of fun for people to do. Well, that is great. Getting involved, helping your community through advocacy is one of the best ways to make a difference. So to wrap it all up, what is the main takeaway you want people to have from this season or from the conversation that we had today? Gosh, there's so many main takeaways, which would make them not main if there's more than one. I guess I would just say that we think there's going to be three quarters of a million people here in Greenville County by 2040. And then, like I said, some studies recently, some information has come out that we think maybe more people are coming and they might be even coming sooner. So I usually say we have 17 years to solve this problem, but we may, not to freak everyone out, but we may have less. So I think the main takeaway is we know people are coming. We already have the tools and we can put things in place now so that we can be successful and happy in the future. So I guess my takeaway is let's get to work. Throughout this season, we've shared the stories of riders, their frustrations, their loves, their aspirations for improving the system. By listening to their experiences, we hope to offer you, our listeners, a fresh perspective on public transit and its significance in our community. Our last three episodes focused on how GreenLink is moving forward and what it means for everyone in Greenville County. Expanding transit means a higher quality of life for us, our employers, and our families. Transit is essential. It's freedom to move and to do, not just for the current riders, but for future riders as well. Increasing frequency decreases the time people spend planning their day around their travel. Frequency is freedom. Freedom to do, freedom to move, freedom to live. To get better frequency, we need more funding. Because we deserve better transit and we demand better transit. Join our coalition and find out all the ways you can help build better transit. Visit our website and sign up for our monthly newsletter. To get started, visit us at greenvilleconnects.org. 
Let's get more buses going more places more often. Until next season, I'm Erin Predmore. Thanks for listening. Bussin' the Greenville Transit Podcast is produced by Podcast Studio X. 